read a portion of this chapter here. It's Luke, or excuse me, Matthew 11, uh, beginning at verse 7. This is following the messengers that were sent by John the Baptist to ask Jesus, are you the one or are we looking for another? Jesus is in prison and, uh, or excuse me, uh, John the Baptist is in prison. And I'm guessing and wondering that he thinks, why is it that I'm in prison if he's the promised Messiah? This isn't turning out the way I thought it would turn out. And God's providence and God's way certainly are above our ways, aren't they? As I was going over this morning to see Dave and Ellen and uh, the family as they were gathered at Bobby's bedside, I thought of the verse where John or Jesus said to Peter that men are going to take you and bind you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Peter's like, well, what about John? What's going to happen with him? And he's like, don't worry about John. You, you follow me. And we're mindful that God's ways with his people, they're different, aren't they? I mean, Bobby has had a long, it's hard for us to understand, but a long, long period of suffering and difficulty and pain. Um, and his ways with his children are different. We don't always understand them, but he says to us, you know, follow me, trust me, rest in me. And this is kind of what he says to John the Baptist, you know, yeah, I'm the one, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. And uh, so blessed is he who's not offended because of me. And we pick it up at verse 7. As they parted, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman, uh, of women, there, was, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what, uh, but to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton, and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. We've been doing a short series here on the kind of the already and the not yet of the person and work of Jesus Christ, living between the two advents of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many things that were foretold of the coming Messiah 
are fulfilled in his first coming, but we realize many of the other things have not completely been fulfilled, and we look forward to another day when he will come again at the second advent, and uh, the rest of these things will come to pass concerning the Lord, our, our Lord and Savior. And tonight I want to consider this uh, idea or this truth that uh, we're living between the already and the not yet or the two advents of this one who is the Savior and the friend of sinners. We think of a lot of the titles that are given to Christ in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is one of my favorites. Turn over to Luke chapter 15. And here we see... Jesus Christ among tax collectors and sinners, uh, Luke 15, 1 and 2. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. And so here are his enemies, and they, with derision, they speak of him as being the friend of sinners, and he even sits at table and he eats with them. Now, they meant this term when they say this, he's the friend of sinners. It wasn't a complimentary term. They were scoffing at him. They were ridiculing him. But the fact is, they spoke the truth, didn't they? Um, And... uh, What they meant for evil, God meant for good. And I'm thankful for this term that is used of him, that he indeed is the friend of sinners. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. And then turn, if you will, back to Isaiah chapter 42. We want to look and see the promise of the one who is coming, who is the friend of sinners. Now, We don't find in the Old Testament that term, friend of sinners, but we do find language that would present him as being just that, that he indeed is a friend of sinners. And I love this Old Testament passage concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. This is among the servant songs of Isaiah, which are presenting the servant of the Lord, the servant of Yahweh, And uh, we have in those servant songs some of these truths concerning this one who's the friend of sinners. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold. He is my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. So here is this figure, this servant of the Lord, who is great, who is mighty, and he will establish justice. So he's a powerful king and being. But also right in the midst of this, it speaks about the fact that he is also uh, uh, one who is tender towards those who are his. He, 
He says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. A bruised reed is a picture of something that's kind of weak. We might think of, if you've ever seen a pond, it's got those little reeds growing up. Uh, They're not strong. They're not the trees of Lebanon, but these blow easily in the wind, and uh, they're fragile, and they can easily be broken, uh, bent over. Um, And it says concerning this one that a bruised reed he will not break. So it's very vulnerable and uh, in need of help. And then a smoking flax. Um, This is a term, uh, a flax was put in oil and it was made a lamp. And uh, the picture is that the lamp is just about to go out. The flame is smoldering and, you know, sputtering. You've seen Christmas candles, you know, when they get down and they're just about to go out. And the flame is very weak. And again, another picture of weakness, of frailty. Um, The flame's just about to be extinguished. But here's this one who is an all-powerful one. He is the servant of the Lord. He is the elect one. But he will not break or he will not crush the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoldering wick. And implied, I think, in that is also that he will restore and strengthen the reed and strengthen the flame. And uh, I think we probably all know what it's like to be in that situation where we feel weakened and we feel broken and bruised. And what a wonderful encouragement that Christ is one who comes and gives help and will not extinguish the flame or break the the reed. Albert Barnes writes concerning this verse, and he says, it may be applied to people who are conscious of feebleness and sin that are moved and broken by calamity, that feel that they have no strength to bear up against the ills of life. Life in this world sometimes very hard, isn't it? This broken, fallen world that we are in. They do not feel they have the strength to bear up against the ills of life. He will not carry on the work of destruction and entirely crush or break it. And the idea is that he will not make those already broken down with a sense of sin and with calamity more wretched. He will not deepen their afflictions or augment their trials or multiply their sorrows. The sense is that he will have an affectionate regard for the brokenhearted, the humble, the penitent, and the afflicted. His heart goes out to those who belong to him, who are broken, who are afflicted, and uh, he gives help to them, to the brokenhearted. And then turn over, if you will, to Isaiah 61. Again, another prophecy concerning the one who is coming. Familiar verses, I think, to us. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn 
to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Again, here we find terms like those who are bowed down low, those who are mourning, those who are brokenhearted, those who are enslaved or inflicted. And again, here this mighty figure that is promised, who comes preaching good news, is one who heals the brokenhearted, those who mourn, gives help and grace to them. He's sensitive to them. He's the friend of sinners. Another commentator writes on this, and he says, Who are the poor? Who are the brokenhearted? Those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are a cruel mirage. Those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord or see his just vengeance meted out against those who have misused them. Those who think that their lives hold nothing more than ashes, sackcloth, and the fainting heaviness of despair. These are they to whom the servant Messiah shouts good news, good news. And then we have these words in Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned that I may know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Here is, again, the picture of the servant of the Lord. He's able to speak a word in season to him that is weary. And uh, so these are some of other prophecies that are made concerning the one that is to come. Isaiah 9 says that he is the counselor. He is, he is mighty. How's it go? He is the, his name is a mighty, yeah, say it. There we go. Okay, so among those titles is that he's the wonderful counselor, and he speaks a word in, in season to those who are weary. So here it is foretold, this one that is coming, and we see something of his character and uh, part of what his ministry will be. So when we think of the first advent, the already, this one who is born of Mary, he is the one who fulfills these things. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. This is where Jesus is come back to his hometown, and he is there preaching and reading from the scriptures. And lo and behold, the text and the reading for the day is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. And Jesus will read this <clears throat> passage, and uh, <clears throat> he will say this is fulfilled in him. Um, verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as, he, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, and on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty in to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then next verse says, he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here he is. Here is this one who will come and heal the brokenhearted, those who mourn. And, uh, you know, they weren't happy about this. Isn't this Joseph's son that's saying this up there? We've seen him grow up in our town. Who does he think he is saying that this is him? It's fulfilled in him. They didn't like this, and they wanted to kill him. They were filled with wrath, and uh, he escaped, or else they would have endeavored to kill him. But with the coming of Christ is the one who is the friend of sinners and those who are brokenhearted. And then we have the account in Matthew 12. We'll not take the time to read it, but there the disciples were uh, on the Sabbath. They were picking grain to eat it. And it was in this context that the, his enemies, the Pharisees, say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They knew what Jesus was going to do. There was a man there that was lame or had a withered hand. And uh, they know what's about to happen. And is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said, well, if your sheep falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, what are you going to do? Aren't you going to get out the, uh, aren't you going to go down into the ditch and get out your lamb or your ox if it's fallen into a ditch. And so Jesus heals this man with a withered hand. And again, they went out and plotted to kill him. And here it is that Jesus quotes from Isaiah 42. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not extinguish. And again, here is the Messiah. Here is the one that is promised, the one that has come the one who is tenderly affectionate towards those who are broken and in need. And so Jesus heals the man with a lame hand. And what do we find during the ministry of Christ? Who is coming out to Jesus? There are his enemies. They are opposing him. But who are coming out to find him? People who are broken. People who are beaten down people who have a sense of their own sinfulness and they find him to be a friend of sinners, people who are broken in soul and in body, people who are mourning, burdened down, and they're coming to him in in droves. And not only that, Jesus is going out to them. As we read in, in Luke's account, here were all of these people um, that, that the society rejected. But Jesus is sitting down with tax collectors, with sinners, and he is eating with them. It almost seems that Luke is very careful to bring out this point about Jesus, that he's the one who is very sensitive to the needy. And uh, we see him as he cleanse, cleanses an, uh, an unclean leper. Luke chapter 5. Uh, turn over there, and in verse 12, 
And it happened that when he was in a certain city that he, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And we can only imagine what it would be like to be a leper in that day. You're, you're, you're not allowed to be in public. Um, you have to say unclean, unclean if anyone comes near you. You're ostracized. You're on the outside dealing with leprosy. And so he comes uh, a certain day as he was teaching. There was, where was I? Verse 12, sorry. Happened that when he was in a certain city that behold a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and he, he implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's heard about Jesus and his power and he comes as a smoldering wick, we might say. And then he put out his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And what's really significant about the way in which Jesus healed him is what did he do? He reached out and touched him. That's not something you would do in that time and in that culture. You wouldn't touch him because somebody that had leprosy, if you touched them, you became unclean. You couldn't go to the temple. You became ceremonially unclean. But what happens here is the one who is unclean, Jesus touches him, and his defilement does not defile Jesus, but Jesus heals his defilement, and he becomes clean. He touches him, and he is made to be clean. And uh, here is a Savior who knows how to deal with our defilement, isn't it? One who has the authority and the power to deal with the defiling effects, not only of disease, but also and ultimately of our sin and our spiritual condition. And so it is Jesus who is able to touch him and to make him well. And then we also see here down in verse 27, we have the call of Matthew. After these things, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all and rose up and he followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well, they have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here is Matthew, another one who is, who is on the outside. He's a tax collector. He's a known thief. And he's rejected by the common people. But here's a man that Jesus calls to himself. And he gathers his friends together. And Jesus comes and has a feast with them, sits down and eats with them. And uh, again, we see uh, the results of Jesus who's come into this world for the guilty, for sinners, for those that have been broken by sin. Then in chapter 7, we have the well-known case of the woman who came and poured out her very expensive perfume on the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and, uh, and uh, showed her great love for him. And again, he's rebuked about this. Verse 37, behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, and she knew that Jesus sat at table with the Pharisee's house. He brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, um, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus knows what they're thinking, and he answered, and he said, Simon, I have something to say to you, and he said, teacher, say on, and he said, a certain creditor had two two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon said, I suppose it's the one who was forgiven more, and he said to him, you have rightly said. And he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head. She gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. It's a wonderful story, a wonderful picture here, again, of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior, and he is the friend of sinners. We'll not take the time, but we have the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, where Zacchaeus, the wee little man, is called to come. Uh, Jesus says, I want to come to your house. And here's a man who is a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And uh, what does Zacchaeus find? But he finds a friend in Jesus. (laughs) He's, again, one who is ostracized by the people in the city. But he finds Jesus to be a friend of sinners. And he comes to know the forgiving grace and the mercy of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at the ministry of Jesus in, in the Gospels, we see one who does not crush the bruised reed, does not extinguish the smoldering wicks. So this is the time in which we live. The, the friend of sinners has come, but he's coming again. So there is the not yet of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he heals the brokenhearted, Um, um, there is coming a day when we'll be fulfilled this in the ultimate sense. Isaiah uh, 35.10 says, Concerning the Messiah and the coming day of the Lord, they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away forevermore. There's coming a day when there will no longer be any sorrow, no more tears, Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be the fullness of this one who is the Savior 
of his people, the Savior and the friend of sinners. And we look forward to that day when he is going to make all things new. There will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more cancer, no more, no more Alzheimer's. And uh, he will come in and uh, we will know the fullness of this salvation of this one who is the friend of sinners. So as we live in between these two advents of the friend of sinners, we are very thankful that there's a call to the brokenhearted, come to him, come to this one. You will find one who is the friend of sinners. And uh, we come to know and enjoy the blessings of this one. I love Hebrews 4. We have a great high priest who is sympathetic to us, one who has been tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. And he is able to give help and grace to us in our time of need. And this one, um, before he comes again, he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He renews our strength. He gives us grace. He gives us help. And I've always loved the account in Pilgrim's Progress when he's in the house of the interpreter and there's a fire that is on the wall, fireplace, and it's burning and uh, there's somebody that's throwing water on this fire. And uh, this is a very strange thing uh, to see this because as the water is being thrown on, the fire still is, is burning. It's still uh, in, in flame and burning strongly. And uh, so Pilgrim asks about this. What, do, what does this mean? And... Um, what he did is he took him behind the wall and he saw there that there was someone on the backside of the fire that was pouring on oil. And it says, he says this, This is Christ who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart by the means of which notwithstanding what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. And so to weary, worn, smoldering, wick believers, there's a beautiful picture for us that he gives us grace. Out of the fullness of Jesus Christ, we receive grace upon grace upon grace. And we ought to endeavor to be like Christ in that way, to see the needs of others around us, to have a heart of compassion as we are able to be like Christ in this way and to minister to them. So we're thankful tonight, I trust, that we have one who is a great and mighty Savior. And uh, he's a great king, but he's also the friend and the Savior of sinners. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.